Good evening, dear Sangha. It's so nice to be here, uh, to be here with you all. It's, um, we have five Tuesdays this month, uh, so um, I decided to take over this fourth one, and then we'll have our tea uh, next month, uh, next week, our tea-less tea ceremony. So there's a a person that I work with uh, who lives in the Midwest, and on occasion, uh, instead of doing a Zoom uh, call, uh, we'll go and do walking meditation uh, over the phone. And um, when I, uh, where he goes, um, his preferred place is uh, the uh, graveyard where his father is buried. Um, so he likes to visit the cemetery, and I live really close to the cemetery on the north side. Uh, so it's just a couple of blocks from my house, so I walk up that way, and we do walking meditation together, and um, cross time zones, and uh, it's very lovely. And on one of those um, walking meditations, he shared with me that uh, his son... Uh, whenever his son wakes up in the morning, uh, one of the first thoughts he has is, um, here is another day unpromised. And, um, and as I was walking with him, just very slowly, it uh, dawned on me that Well, here's another breath that's unpromised. Uh, There's no guarantee of another breath. And that had the effect of immediately um, helping me just be in that place uh, and just arrive right then. It made the practice feel very simple. <laughs> there wasn't a lot to, a lot of things I had to think about or worry about or try to get right or understand. Uh, it was just another breath that was unpromised. Uh, and what a gift that breath was. And so this, uh, this talk tonight is kind of exploring that, that practice of what it means to really breathe mindfully with our whole being. And how this kind of relates to some of the uh, core concepts of of Buddhism, um, of impermanence, of uh, non-self, and um, ultimately uh, of the end of suffering, of nirvana. And kind of we'll just wander together, I guess. Uh, We'll do walking meditation tonight together uh, through this talk. It is really amazing to me uh, how how this 
this practice has been given to us over so many, many years. Uh, the Buddha was alive in 600 BCE. Um, and here we are 2,600 years later. And so much time has passed, um, especially in relation to the lifespan of a human being. And I'm always taken and, and just very touched by, um, by the Buddha's desire that, uh, that kind of um, really alive spark inside of him that wanted to find a way to relate to life um, so that there was no more suffering created. I said it in that kind of weird <laughs> roundabout way because um, he realized that if, if we are alive, we are aging. Uh, and if we're alive, we uh, will get sick. And if we're alive, we will die. Uh, that's just part of life. Yeah. And the way that we relate to that uh, can lead towards an end of suffering or it can lead towards creating more suffering. And so if we relate to aging uh, with a anxiety, with a way of trying to cover it up, with a way of trying to avoid it or pretend that it's not there, uh, we will suffer. Uh, and likewise with illness and uh, with mortality, with death, whether our own or others' death. And so his, his practices that he offered to us are a way of just <laughs> a way of finding a new way to relate, a new way of coming into contact with life. And then, of course, there's thousands and thousands of pages of the teachings of the Buddha from the, from the sutras trying to explain this, uh, trying to find all these uh, subtle nuances uh, so, that we can, um, so that we can let go of that, uh, of that suffering, so that we cannot add any more suffering. And so one of the practices that the Buddha teaches is impermanence. Um, we're in our uh, book group, we're reading the book, uh, The Art of Living. And in uh, one of the chapters, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about uh, taking a notion, uh, so a notion of Im impermanence, an idea of impermanence, and translating it into experience, into a practice of impermanence. And in fact, all of the Buddhist teachings, all of Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings are, are that way, where they're ideas 
that are intended to be taken into our life, into practice. And this, um, this practice of impermanence, For me, it, it's encapsulated in that idea of another breath unpromised. Because everything, everything is changing. We're not the same people we were uh, an hour ago when we sat down in here. On a very real kind of biological level, yes, that's true. Of course, we know that. Right? That's the notion part. We know that our body is digesting and purifying our blood and uh, building muscle and creating energy for thinking and experiencing the world. So what does it mean to practice impermanence? What does it mean to really touch and experience impermanence? I think for all of us, that's going to be a little bit different, uh, how we choose to engage with that. But the meditation we did this evening, the guided meditation, and even right now, uh, one way of touching that is to let go of control of the breath and just let it come and go to just breathe in and breathe out. If you're like me and like many other people, there's a little part of you uh, that controls the breath, that wants to uh, grab a hold of it and make it something, maybe something different, uh, or maybe keep it the way it is, because uh, you, <laughs> you like the way you're breathing at the moment. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it takes a very, um, a very large uh, part of ourselves, a very um, developed uh, trust in the breath to just let it be as it is. Uh, for me, that image of finding the breath is very helpful uh, that we shared earlier that just like you find a bird that lands on a branch you can't make it show up there um, but how delighted we are when it when it does alight and just stays for a while and then leaves uh, trying to find our breath in that way to just allow it to to show up and then to leave And this practice of mindful breathing, of truly allowing our mindful breathing, gives us a little taste of, of impermanence in the sense that it's always changing, it's always moving. We might be very familiar with the breath because we have a, a months or years or decades of practice of following the breath, of noticing it. But each breath is completely different and new than the breath before. 
we can't get that breath back. The one that you just breathed. That was it for that one. It's gone. This breath, this one right now, is the one we have. It takes a lot of trust to really let go into that breath, into the breath just as it is. One of the five uh, powers, uh, sometimes it's the, the correlate of the five spiritual faculties. Uh, the very first one is faith. And part of it is uh, faith in, in the Buddhist teachings, of course. But part of it is faith in our capacity to just experience this moment. Shared in here before the, uh, this, um, this fall, I had uh, an experience where I was doing this practice, I was breathing, I was enjoying, um, enjoying the breath, I was helping to manage uh, difficulties that were coming up, uh, stress and anxiety, uh, really coming into that place of calm. And I had this, this realization that I was holding something back. Um, I wasn't going all in <laughs> to the breath. Uh, wasn't completely trusting my capacity to practice in to practice impermanence. I wasn't trusting my capacity to just be with the breath, to let it be, without kind of grabbing onto it or wishing I was breathing differently or uh, grabbing onto, uh, onto this breath. And I realized there's so many layers to this practice. Uh, it goes so deep. Um, The way we experience the world is conditioned by our language. Uh, what we see and hear, uh, the way that we, um, the way that we perceive taste, is conditioned by our experience, uh, by our upbringing, our culture. And uh, ultimately, the very words we use. And to really let go of that uh, brings up that anxiety of, of who am I if I am not these uh, experiences, uh, if I'm not this way of knowing what, uh, knowing what I perceive the world as. And so the Buddha offers us, uh, in addition to 
practice of impermanence, he offers us the practice of non-self, of that contemplation of all of the all of the conditions and influences that we've had in our lives. And how there's a desire to, to grab onto that and say, okay, this is who I am. I am this person who perceives this breath. So deep. And so subtle. Our friend, Michael Saborski, who's the Dharma teacher for the retreat coming up, one time said, it's like a lens that is so close to our eye that we can't see that it's there because it's been there for so long and it's so close. And that kind of intimacy of, of our experience. So I've been really practicing with that idea of impermanence and non-self and faith. (laughs) The other uh, five powers uh, support this practice of faith. Uh, um, It's energy. It's that little uh, enthusiasm for practice. Uh, that's another one of the powers you know, that wanting to to do this practice um, and concentration uh, is another power and concentration of course um, comes from that that faith that trust in letting go and also that that enthusiasm and mindfulness and eventually uh, wisdom or insight is the fifth power. So really being with these um, ideas that are given to us and trying to bring them alive inside of us, into our lives. I think of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's calligraphy that says, this is it. Three little words. Uh, but it's, it's a practice. It's an idea, this is it. But it's also a practice. This is it, right now. We don't get another now. You don't get another life. This is it. So it's interesting how simple these practices are and how they keep unfolding and how deep they are. And I guess there's a reason why there's thousands of pages of explanation. Um, because it's not easy. Um, it's not easy to let go of of this idea of who we are. Uh, 
It's very scary, too. Because um, it's hard to trust that that we'll know what, uh, we'll recognize what we find if we do let go. Hard to trust that. And so sometimes, uh, sometimes it's enough to just breathe. Just in this moment. And then to see what happens next. All our habits and and ways of thinking will still be there. But maybe we'll have a different relationship to them. Um, Just like we can relate to those three fundamental truths about being human that the Buddha discovered, the aging and illness and death. Maybe we can relate to the way that we engage with each other, with ourselves, in a different way. We can smile at the person who worries about this or that. We can Notice when we're a person who responds in a, in a way that surprises us. And with compassion we didn't know was there. We can smile at that too. Non-self and impermanence are really tools and practices that give us some freedom uh, to not be... Um, not be controlled by our, our habits and our upbringing. To not be, um, to not be uh, trapped by our habits and upbringing. We may respond habitually, uh, but with practices of impermanence and non-self, we can get a little space inside there inside that response, some new understanding, some new relationship to it. And just continue to breathe just this breath, another breath unpromised. And so, um, and uh, some uh, Zen monasteries at the end of the practice session for the evening, they recite uh, a verse where they say, um, I respectfully remind you that life and death are of the greatest importance. Take heed, take heed. Do not squander your life. Which I hear that and it's like, oh, oh man. You know, maybe I shouldn't have spent that 15 minutes on the internet today. Uh, And so that's when uh, a little grace, a little forgiveness uh, is important. Uh, Because, uh, you know, we really are just doing the best we can uh, with what we have. And so we are learning tools here 
that can make us fully alive. Um, and sometimes we just can't use those tools because some other habit energies are too strong uh, and we need to, to relate in a way that's familiar and comfortable. Uh, so it's okay. It's all okay. Uh, the important thing is that we, we hold these things, uh, these practices and teachings really tenderly and close to the heart. Um, because they really do transform uh, transform our lives uh, and transform our relationship to our life. Um, in our uh, in the Plum Village Sangha, they have a gata of impermanence, uh, which kind of echoes uh, some of the traditional Zen uh, phrasing, but uh, appreciate the way that it's written. And so the gata on impermanence. The day is now ended. Our lives are shorter. Let us look carefully. What have we done? Noble Sangha, with all our heart, you might like to even say with our whole life, let us be diligent, engaging in the practice, let us live deeply, free from our afflictions. Maybe you could replace afflictions, which sounds, you know, like something that could be a little, a little harsh. Maybe just free from our, our habits. Um, free from our worry. Yeah. Aware of impermanence so that life does not drift away without meaning. Doesn't mean that our life is meaningless uh, if we don't engage in these practices. Uh, but what it does mean is we can bring, um, we can bring our whole being into the moment uh, and find meaning in the littlest thing Maybe we can find meaning in, in that day when we just need to sit and not do anything because we're overwhelmed with the news. Or maybe when we need to distract ourselves because we're carrying a pain that's just too great. But we do it on purpose. We bring our, our intention our energy into that. That feels very meaningful to me. Um, and so we'll have uh, Terry invite uh, two sounds of the bell and uh, pass around the card. It has a little calligraphy of ties that says this is it on one side and then the gots on a permanence on the other side. Uh, 